we knew that we needed to stay away from that place. We kind of already knew that something bad was going to happen. I said, I wanted to tell him, Lord, just take me quick. And all I remember was just seeing white after that. I just remember looking at my vehicle commander and asking him, how was our platoon sergeant? Because they were right behind us. He didn't say anything. He didn't have to say anything. I already knew that, that it had happened. Now I feel like we're in combat every day. Combat, I think, more is more psychological and emotional now. Have you done things to continue that process of growth since that time? Or was it sort of a, a one and done thing for you? No, I was completely fine. My PTSD was cured after that. <laughs> That's great. It's <laughs> great to hear. <laughs> it is a constant job. The views and opinions in this podcast do not represent the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or United States Marine Corps. After their deployment in 2008, some called them the Forgotten Battalion. But the Marines and sailors of the United States Marine Corps' 2nd Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment, reject the way the Forgotten Battalion moniker encourages that narrative of broken veterans. Instead, these warriors simply want to be remembered for the mission they accomplished and for the honor with which they have served their country and their corps. The majority of 2-7 veterans continue to reflect on their experiences while living their lives and pressing forward. These are their personal stories of resilience with insight to healthy coping and living with hope. Welcome to the Warriors Roundtable. Today we talk to former enlisted Marine, Noel Guerrero. Noel, welcome to Warriors Roundtable. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear more about your story of your service in Afghanistan. So Noel, would you tell us a little bit about what you did and where you were serving and with whom you were serving when you were in Afghanistan in 2008? So in Afghanistan in 2008, I was with the 2nd Battalion, 7 Marines, and I was part of the Combat Trains Alpha Platoon, which was a platoon that uh, went all over the Helmand province at the time. Essentially, I started off with a, a Victor Company, as, uh, as they called it. I was with a Fox Company, and essentially, we were just a, a, a basic infantry company. But what happened towards the uh, deployment is they picked out a, a few infantry guys from each company to be the machine gunners for a mortar two platoon that would be going all over the place uh, supplying different fobs and my number got called and I became a full-time machine gunner on a turret during my Afghanistan deployment so they had uh, infantry guys come out from Gulf, Fox Company and Echo Company I think to be the machine gunners for that the mortar T platoon which was a combat trains platoon. Okay can you talk a little bit about what kind of missions you guys would run while you were there in country? Yeah, so essentially it's uh, quite comical because when I was going to go to Afghanistan with 2-7, as an infantry guy, the, the one thing that you think about in your life is this is the only thing that gives you any kind of self-worth is you need that combat action ribbon. Hmm. You need that combat action ribbon on your chest, and that's what's going to tell you that you're, you're a real infantry guy. So I was very worried when I went on the combat trains platoon because I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to be in any firefights. Well, it was uh, quite the contrary because it turns out that the Taliban just really, really loves to go after those convoys because we had a lot of things that they wanted. And our job in, uh, was to protect the convoys. And we went all over Afghanistan 
supplying the different fobs with things like batteries and food and just, you know, essentials and people as well. We would, you know, take people's back people back and forth from the fobs. You've probably had more experiences than a lot of folks have with because you guys were running missions just about every day, correct? Yeah, yeah. We were we we're out a lot. Did a lot of covered a lot of miles. Is there any particular milestone event or operation that that you all did when you were in Afghanistan in 2008? Yeah, yeah. I think that one of the particular milestones would be by far, it's got to be my my first firefight, and it and and it's it's a milestone because all I wanted to do was get that combat action ribbon as as a as a typical grunt, and I got the O311 right here in my arm, you know, and just inside out, you know, just an infantry guy, and that first firefight just I just remember so much happening, and all I remember was having the biggest smile in my face when it was happening because I, I finally got to, to be in combat. Hmm. And I remember everything happened like you would think about it in a video game, you know, like it happened with the explosion and then the mortars and then the small arms fire. And then at the at the very, very end of it, all I remember was lo- looking at my platoon sergeant, uh, not my platoon sergeant, the vehicle commander and saying, hey, sergeant. Does does that qualify as uh, me having my combat action ribbon? And I'll, I'll never forget. The, I looked down at the, from the turret, and I, all I see is this thumbs up. And I said, "Yes, <laughs> I'm a real grunt now." Yeah, yeah. That's that's probably the the first milestone. Right. You punched your card that day. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Now, in retrospect, what is combat like now for you when you think back to those experiences? I imagine very different. Yeah, yeah. Now I feel like I feel like we're in combat every day. I think I think uh, you're you're in combat with your emotions. You're in combat with the social uh, the social aspects of your life, whether it's at work, whether it's with new friends, uh, at church, wh- whatever whatever you're into. I, th- I think we're constantly in combat with what's happening in life. So combat, I think, more is more psychological and emotional now. Mm-hmm than physical when I was in 2-7. Going back to the your experience in 2008 a little bit, is there anything, in, is there any event or, or maybe multiple events that you find yourself going back to? Yeah, yeah. There there are multiple events that I, I find myself going back to, but the event that um, will never leave my mind is probably when I lost my platoon sergeant in September 19, 2008. Hmm. Um, he he uh, he died when uh, he hit a IED in uh, the Bakwa province of Afghanistan. That was actually uh, the first vehicle that was hit by an IED. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like for you, from your perspective? That 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 day was uh, that day we expected something to happen. We were going into this route that was notorious for having a previous. Geez, previous armies and a lot of different types of uh, people that went through there that they got hit by IEDs or, or ambushed. It was called Route 515. And uh, we knew that we needed to stay away from that place. But we got a mission to go through it one day and to clear it. And uh, we kind of already knew that something bad was going to happen. So when, when you go through a mission like that, you just kind of, you know, you prepare yourself. And I think that day what happened is I, I, I kind of felt something in my heart and I decided to just pray 
But as soon as I said, I, I, I kind of, I felt something in my heart. I knew it. I, I, I knew it. And I kind of just told God at that very moment. And I said, I wanted to tell him, Lord, just take me quick. Mm-hmm. But the only word that came out of my mind was my mouth was Lord. And all I remember was just seeing white after that. And then it all happened very, very quickly. I ended, uh, I ended up crawling out of the, out of the vehicle. And I think there was a little bit of, there was a little bit of small arms fire when I got out. I think there were some mortars right before it happened. It wasn't anything too crazy, but I just remember looking at my vehicle commander and asking him how it was, uh, how was our platoon sergeant? Cause they were right behind us. And I said, how is, how is bus? Which is the code name, the code name for the truck, but it's also the code name for the platoon sergeant. Okay. And I'll never forget. He just looked back at me and he gave me this, he just said like, he didn't say anything. He didn't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. I already knew that, that, that it had happened. And, you know, there's a certain time where combat is, you know, infantry and gung ho and let's do this. Uh, but you always hear that phrase until someone gets hurt. And yeah. that was, that was the day when, when someone got hurt. And mm. that's one of the events that I will consistently go back to. I'm pretty sure for the rest of my life. Sounds like a very, very different experience for you than that first experience that you talked about where it was sort of fresh, new, exciting, even fun. There is something that's very exhilarating and and I'll say even enjoyable for Marines to to come together, to act as a, as a fire team or as a unit and to, to execute their mission and to do it well. There's really nothing like it, you know, right. as far as the kind of camaraderie and togetherness that you feel. And, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, there's some real brutal aspects of combat. When you think back to that, was that a, was that an experience that you had to process through? Did you have a difficult time moving on from that? And if so, how did you, how did you process through it? You have very, very little time to process because the only thing that you want to do is you want to get back out there. Yeah. Um, so I, I fought and, and, and scratched my way back into the next convoy, essentially. That night, I was medevaced over to, uh, to one of the other fobs. But as soon as I was able to, I had to get back, on, get back out there because you're, you're doing it for, for, for someone now. You're doing it for, for your platoon sergeant at this point. So I, um, you don't process it, I think. Um, you mm-hmm. go right back out there. Yeah. When did you realize that that was or that those experiences, probably not just that experience, but that those experiences were starting to have uh, an impact on you because you had to sort of compartmentalize and keep it kind of stored away for a while? When did you realize that now this is starting to become a little unbearable? Well, you, you don't realize it when you're in the, um, I think, during the deployment or sometimes even after the deployment because you're still in the deep in with the, the Marines, you still have all the camaraderie and, and everybody's kind of going through the, through the numbers. I think, I think the, the point for myself when I really realized it was after uh, I left 2-7, I was in the Wounded Warrior Battalion and I had a uh, recovery coordinator, which is kind of a case manager okay. to tell you where you need to go to your appointments. And he just kept telling me that, you know, he, he could see it in my eyes that I was just tired and, and he could hear it in my voice. And there's just these little nuances that I guess my body was expressing. Mm. And I just didn't want to do anything. I was like, no, I'm fine. Just tell me where I need to go to my appointment and, you know, I'll get there. And, you know, that's, that's that. 
but I wasn't, I wasn't fine. I was very distracted. I was very distracted all the time. I would go on these space patrol missions where I would just kind of like hover over my, my body for lack of better terms. And I just, I wasn't there anymore. Uh, mm. I was just disassociated with myself and it got to the point where little things would just happen where I, when I wanted to park, I would run over the curb. I wanted to get in the garage. I would scratch my mirror getting in the garage. It's just, I was no longer paying attention to the smallest things like driving or just walking. I would trip. And then one day I got into a little bumper to bumper and it wasn't anything big. It was just a little bumper to bumper, but it's, I realized that I was just so distracted by my emotions and my feelings and everything that was going on that I was no longer completely there when I was driving. And because of that, I, I hit the car in front of me. And that's when I finally decided to tell my recovery coordinator, look, I think I, I think I need help. I think I need help. And he could connected me with everything that I needed. And from there on, it's when I really actually understood, uh, well, when I told myself that this is what's going on and, and you got to deal with it. You got to start dealing with it. Was that difficult for you to reach out, Noel? No, no. Um, uh, you see, because I didn't reach out. You know, someone was there constantly telling me that you should go, you should go. Mm, okay. um, I guess it was. I, I guess it was difficult to after realizing that I needed to do something, mm-hmm. go and talk to someone. It was. It was. It was extremely difficult. The act of actually going to talk someone, to, to talk to someone, was very difficult. Because having to talk about that with someone that I, I don't know, someone that I don't trust, it, it just felt cheap. I felt, it felt cheap. Like, like I, I don't know this person and I have to tell this person something that like, he doesn't need to know. He wasn't there. And it just, I felt like I'm, I just, I felt like I have to feed him this ham sandwich. I have to tell him what's going on and go through the numbers. So, Cause you have this, you have this thing in your head of what, seeing a psychologist is you know the the leather couch and the the laying on it and then someone with a with a little clipboard right but uh yeah so in that sense it was hard what helped you kind of get over that well once i did let out what i needed to say the psychiatrist had worked with a previous infantry battalion that had just came back from afghanistan and he had his plaque on the wall and everything and and he he kind of had credibility in that sense mm-hmm. And after the first couple of times of me expressing what I was feeling, I, I, I feel like I felt a good, I don't know how to explain it. I just, I just felt not better, but it felt nice to let go of this secret that I was holding so hard to. It sounds like part of what was holding you back was just sort of, you may not have called it a fear, but it was a concern or a fear of having maybe your experience invalidated by having to share it with somebody that just didn't understand. And it sounds like once you actually had that conversation with him, sort of just by choosing to have the conversation, you confronted your fear with the truth. And the truth was, he actually seemed to be a, a good listener and probably understood and, and validated your experience in a way that gave you a sense of, of relief that this was a, a safe and a good place. I'm, I'm glad you were able to find somebody like that. Have you done things to continue that, that process of growth since that time? Or was it sort of a, a one and done thing for you? No, I was completely fine. My PTSD was cured after that. <laughs> that's great that's <laughs> no. great to hear <laughs> it is a constant job it's it's mm. 24 hours a day of work uh, mm. you're not necessarily maybe going to a psychologist mm-hmm. but 
whenever you deal with things like like what I have dealt with in combat, along with thousands of other guys that that, that went to Afghanistan, you got to constantly work at it. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not working at it, I feel it. I can mm-hmm. tell, you know. So one of the things that I do is is I make sure that no matter what I do, I I, I have time to run in, in the trails. And uh, when I run when I run in the trails, that's like my time, because during the day and wherever else I am, wherever else I am, like my 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 brain is just going 110 miles an hour, and, and I don't necessarily process everything. Mm-hmm that fast but when i'm running you know there's just there's just this calmness and i'm mm. just out with nature and i try to be secluded and i just run in trails and see a deer if i need to and go up yeah. a mountain and that's that's how i do it but I, I have to do it all the time like if i don't if i miss my runs which is basically my way of saying my time with myself and working with myself and praying yeah. with god i can see i can see what happens when i don't I mean, there's little things like sitting in a room when it's quiet and all of a sudden I'm afraid to be with my own emotions. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, you know, I, I, I get anger bursts or I'm, I'm a lot more stressed. So it's, it's, it's constant work. And, and, and it's, it happened in 2008 and we're in 2019 now. And I, can't, I, I cannot tell you that I have slowed down on, on, on working on that. I continuously work on that. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of work. It is. Sure. Well, how would you say that you have become a, a different person since experiencing combat with the Marine Corps in Afghanistan in particular? I think combat with the Marine Corps prepares you so much for, for anything afterwards. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that you can always go back to your struggles in combat and, and tell yourself when you're in a hard place in the civilian world that you've been through worse. And I know it sounds so cliche and, it, and it's so simplistic, I guess. Um, but in reality, we're going to, we're going to trip over so many times and, and then, and, and we're going to, we're going to be tested, but, but we've already been tested to the max physically, emotionally, we've already done it and we passed it. So combat has prepared me for everything outside of the Marine Corps, because I know that I've been through worse. I hear you saying a couple of things, at least there. And one is that in some ways, as much as you take some of the trauma from combat with you, it's also made you a better person. And a lot of times we don't think of it that way, but it's, it's actually in some ways made you better. Uh, the other thing I hear you saying is that this is a constant process, but at the same time, it doesn't have to beat you down. You just have to intentionally do things to deal with it, to grow through it. And how have you, what else have you, you talked a little bit about running. Uh, what else have you done to sort of address some of the, the trauma, the stress that you carry with you? I pray a lot. I do, I do pray a lot. Um, I did lose, I did lose my faith in Afghanistan. I, I, hmm. I doubted God a lot. And uh, it took me a little while to get, get back into the church when I came back. But now I, I, I do pray a lot. That's that's what I do have, and and when I'm running, when uh, when I'm running every day, I, um, that's my time to be alone with myself, and and then sometimes pray because that's the other thing that I do. And then, uh, the other main thing that I do is uh, I have devoted my life and everything that I do to to combat veterans. I just I do a lot of work in that community because I care so much. I care so much about the combat veteran community just because I, I I know what they what they've been through. 
and I just want to be proactive in, in that community and, and help out as much as I can. Speaking of which, would you talk to us a little bit about what you do through the Semper Fi Fund and how Marines who may feel disconnected or might need to want to reach out for help could find that through the Semper Fi Fund? Yeah, yeah. The, the Semper Fi Fund did a great thing in 2016 where the unit that I was with, the 7th, uh, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines, had a very high suicide ratio. And uh, Semper Fi Fund uh, wanted to do a, a reunion for 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines. So they, they uh, reached out to me and, and, and wanted to know if I, could, if I could help coordinate something like that. And uh, we did a 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines battalion reunion. And it was like a dream come true for, for, for a lot of people just to be back with all your brothers and, and cabins and, and, and sharing stories and all of a sudden, you're, it's, it's almost like you were back in 2008. Mm. So after the Semper Fi Fund did that, I think that it was incredibly successful because a lot of 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines veterans reconnected and stayed connected. And that's the biggest thing, uh, that they stayed connected. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of work with the Semper Fi Fund uh, when it comes to reaching out to those combat veterans like the 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines members. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I, I, I do a lot of work with them and, and there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of guys out there that they need the good word passed along. They need to know that, that some of the symptomologies that, that they're experiencing are not necessarily bad. You know, you're always walking around and you, and you feel like you're flinching. Well, congratulations. You have spidey sense. You have a natural spidey sense that you've obtained from combat. So now your family's safer for it. You know, you stress a lot. Well, guess what? You stress a lot, a lot of the product that you give to the civilian world, the reports that you turn in, the, the, uh, the work that you do for people, it, it shines because mm-hmm. you stress so much that you, make a, that you make products that much better. So there's, 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 there's good things that come with the symptomologies of, of PTSD. There is. And, and I, I want to just pass on that not all of them are bad. If you could try to Think of them as, as something good, like protecting your family. You almost send something bad happening before it even happens. And those are some of the good, you know, and, and you want to pass along some, some of that advice. And there's a lot of people out there that might be having a, a bad time and they're, they've hit rock bottom and, and uh, you want to try to get to those people. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I do a lot of that stuff with the second battalion, seven Marines uh, through the Semper Fi Fund. I really like what you had to say and the way that you framed that, that there's things that we can be thankful for that we take from those experiences. There's some challenges for sure that we need to continually address. There's some good things, things that have made us better people because of those experiences. The other thing I really like about what you said is that you basically are continuing, Noel, to, to write your own story. You know, a lot of people kind of get stuck in, in a point in time, whether that be a deployment or just, you know, that season of life where I was a sailor or a Marine or a soldier or whatever. And they kind of lo- they lose themselves once they get out. And we have this wonderful network of relationships when we're in and we get really tight because of those kind of experiences. And what you do through Semper Fi Fund and other things is you really provide a way for 2-7 veterans in particular, but this goes to, to anybody. You provide a means for folks to get reconnected, and that is so important. One of the things that I was just reading recently in, in the book Tribe, I don't know if you've ever read that by Sebastian Younger. No. Actually, Ross Shellhaus, former company commander for Foss Company, recommended it to me months ago. And 
I picked it up and read it. He talks about how for as much as technology has advanced and made us sort of a better society in those ways, it's come at a significant cost. And that is the sort of the, the, the tearing of relationships that we've become extremely individualistic. And as a result, when people go through trauma and certainly combat trauma and they come back and then they they get out or they retire, life can be very difficult for them unless they have a means to sort of maintain those connections, that sense of connectedness to others that they, uh, they feel a closest new to. And you provide a key, key network for to make that, that happen. So thank you for all that you're doing, Noel. I appreciate it very much. We'll certainly link the SemperFi Fund to the show notes below. Is there a particular point of contact that you would want to give them or web address, uh, email address right now? No, I mean, if, if anybody wants to go and see what the SemperFi Fund can, can do, it's uh, just www.semperfifund.org. That's very easy to access. Uh, so... No, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Okay. Noel, what do you do with your, your time now? Now that you're, you're out of the Marine Corps, you're obviously doing some Semper Fi fun stuff, but you're very active in, in just continuing to, to live your life and, and do things to try to find uh, joy in life. What do, you, what do you do with your time? Um, my hobbies are two seven combat veterans. Okay. That is my hobby. <laughs> I, I, I just love my family. God gave me thousands of brothers that mm-hmm. understand me. And, and my hobby is to be able to be there for them. Um, and, and running, running really that that's, that's it. Yeah. Um, and you know, my family is just, my family is not my hobby, but they, they're my wife and my kid. They've just been a, a great support system for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I'd like to thank them for everything that they've done for me to this point and, and God, for sure. Uh, I'd like to, you know, I attribute a lot of every, where I am right now to the, uh, the strength that, that the Lord has given me. Well, that's a great testimony and a, a great point to end on. Thank you so much, Noel, for your time. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to not only share very personally your story, but also give a word of encouragement to those that are, are listening. And if opportunity presents itself, we'll have to do this again sometime in the future. Of course. I would love it. I would love it. All right. Thanks, Noel. Not a problem. Thank you.